0: All right, welcome everybody. This is Charlie. This is uh, the podcast to Helen back. <clears throat> what is it? It's July eleventh, two thousand nineteen. I'm in Massachusetts. It's six o'clock Eastern time, and I'm talking to a few of you live. Um, appreciate that you're here, but I think most of the people who listen to this are not able to be on live. And I do. I. Other people do listen to this. I keep hearing from people. It's always amazing to me. But uh, I hear from people all over the place. So I don't know how they all learn about it. Um, Let me just say, I I haven't been on doing one of these uh, for three weeks, I think. Three weeks. And um, just to position where we are uh, from from the overview is that I am walking through skill by skill, the DBT skills manual, and I'm trying to talk about them in ways that make them accessible to anyone who's listening. And not just to therapists or people who've studied DBT, but anybody who copes with um, the adversity of life, which no one can escape. So it's just uh, it's just a wonderful package of skills, and I'm think and I and I've been thinking a lot about the skills. I want to make some comments later. I think if I can get to it about a slightly different overview of the overall skills package. But but today's topic um, is the final I think final 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 uh, installment of talking about mindfulness skills. Um, and and it's one I've already talked about in a previous recent podcast, maybe even the most recent one. Uh, went over it, and it's the skill of non-judgmental, being non-judgmental. And the reason I wanted to take more time on it is it's one of the most difficult ones, um, maybe in the whole manual of skills, is how to be non-judgmental because um, it's such a tricky thing being non-judgmental. Uh, I'll go over various reasons why, but just to, just to put nonjudgmental in the larger context of DBT mindfulness skills, at the core of it all, perhaps at the core of the whole manual, the whole treatment, is the goal of getting yourself into what Linehan calls wise mind and, uh, and making your choices in life, whether conscious or unconscious, from a position or a stance of being in wise mind, you just things will most likely go better um, and actually, if people could do it, she probably wouldn't have needed to develop anything more than just the, the wise mind skills um, but but that doesn't work for most people most most of us need more than that to regulate ourselves. Um, But let me say, leading up to non-judgmental, and I might have said something like this last time, though my thinking has formed further about this, so I don't know how I put it. I really think of the first three skills as the basic ones. I even call them the basics now and think about the term back to basics. Is that the basic skills are what Linehan called the what skills, what you do. And I don't think I realized for years of learning, practicing, and teaching these skills um, how uh, extraordinarily uh, comprehensive they are. And there's only three of them. But I think when we go back to basics, and we often need to, we're going back to where we're just observing exactly what's happening in reality. Now, we can't observe what's happening in reality because reality um, has its own world out there. But we can get as close to it as we can. And I think the way we get as close to it as we can is the limitations of our nervous system and our bodies, our sensory system in particular. So we know what's going on in reality by what we can see, feel, touch, smell, and taste. We know what's going on in our internal reality by sensing our emotions, sensing our mood, sensing our thoughts, sensing our um, well-being sensing our level of energy, all kinds of things that include a vestibular system, an proprioceptive system, and just this amazing capacity to sense what's going on in us if we pay attention to it. So, there are, so this is how we know what reality is. And, and observe just means that you're investing your attention out at, those, out at those frontiers of the sensory input from outside and inside. And if you just do that, it all by itself is what people do and practice for their whole lives when they practice mindfulness. Just notice the breath. Just observe. I'm looking at trees outside my house right now. I'm looking at my dogs right next to me here. Show me my dogs. I think there's one of them, if you can see him. And when I look at these things, if I, if I do nothing else, if that's all I do, that's a skill. If I look, if I just notice what it sounds like here, because there's some noise going on in my house, it's a a big ceiling fan to keep things cool here. And um, and then I stop and I notice noise. That's observing. Observing, or it could have been called sensing, because it involves all of the senses. So that's just observing. And that's really like the go-to place. That's what most grounding skills are made up of for PTSD and trauma-oriented therapists. Most grounding skills are observe and describe. Whatever, you're bringing your, 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 your nervous system back to just noticing stuff. And that helps get your head out of the clouds, out of the clouds of judgment and out of the clouds of interpretation and out of the clouds of anticipation and out of the clouds of regret. It's just being here now, right? That's observed. You know all of that. I've said these things before and you probably know it from a hundred sources. Describe is the involvement of language in this process, so that we have the capacity for language. And so we can label breathing. We can label an in-breath and an out-breath. We can label a sound, and we can label what our dog looks like and what a tree looks like, and we can put words on it. And that is the intent of that, and it's a powerful skill because... For one thing, it further reifies what you're observing, so it helps you maintain your attention on what you're observing. Um, It also helps to delineate what you're observing from what it isn't. Because as soon as you say something declarative with your language, you're also declaring that it's different than the rest of the universe. In fact, if you say, um, you know, I feel this. It already delim- delimits how much you're not feeling, what, uh, all the things you're not feeling. It creates a boundary in a way that observing doesn't. Observing is this wide open receptive experience and, and describing is a way of kind of putting labels on things and that makes them sometimes more manipulable, sometimes more usable, sometimes stronger. And like I said about grounding skills, when people are traumatized or people are in panic, people are in extreme anxiety, If you just look and put your hand on a table and say, I feel my hand on the table. The table is cool. That's a grounding skill. I feel my butt on the chair right now. That's a grounding skill. So these things are, are used throughout the world of therapy. Now we've got observe and scribe and then participate as a different way to relate to experience. It's discontinuous from the other two in one way, though, it's not far from them, because sometimes we can be observing something one minute and with, then we're participating in it the next minute. Um, so you can it all has to do with how we relate to the experience that's coming into us, is that sometimes we flow with it. Sometimes we jump into it, sometimes we do stuff with it. And that's participate. So they all are interrelated, and we move between the different ones, no matter what we're doing. Um, But we lose track of that when we get away from the basics because we get into our heads, we get into um, a variety of things, and there's lots of things that interfere with sticking with basics. Three things that interfere with sticking with basics are three reasons for the next three skills. You probably haven't been taught it that way if you've learned DBT before because I don't think that's usually how people think about it, but on Deeper Thought, I realized You know, the skill of non-judgmental is basically, it's a rescue operation to get you back to basics. Because getting into being judgmental takes you away from what you're observing and describing. It takes you away from pure participation. It's another realm in itself. And that realm can have a lot of negative consequences, which I'm going to spend some time on today. Today, if I had retitled today different than it was, it would have said something like, you know, the anatomy and physiology and treatment of a judgment, uh, of of being judgmental. Um, Because uh, there's a lot to this. But I want you to see where it fits in this package. Then there's the next how skill, which is one mindful, and that addresses and rescues you from another factor that interferes with getting back to the basics. What is that factor? That factor is being too busy. Being too busy or being too busy-minded. It's very hard to just observe and describe and participate. If you've got 40 things going on, if you've got 23 projects, if your mind is torn in five different directions, if your day is made up, as mine has been a good part of my adult life, though less less these days because I've been working on this, but where you just like everything's pulling you, you, you just can't sit and notice a flower you can't sit and notice a bug crawling across the street you can't just notice what your dog actually is like nice to have your dog but actually when you hang out with your dog and there's nothing else but observing and describing and participating with your dog it becomes a whole different experience and same with your partner and same with your child so one mindfully in in a phrase, is a rescue operation to help you get less busy and to help you focus on what you're focusing on. And finally, effectively, is the other mindfulness skill. It's another rescue operation. It's a reminder to say, no, don't, don't try to do everything at once. Don't try to, like, talk to a friend and make a political statement and say what's right and wrong and demonstrate what, a, what an amazing person you are or, or what a jerk you are or whatever it is. No, just be effective. It's like in the skills, if you know the interpersonal skills, the first thing you have to do is figure out what your priority is. What is your goal? What is it you're trying to accomplish? If you don't do that, you start, you start to kind of drift around between different possibilities. But to be effective means, no, here's what I'm doing now. I'm taking out the trash. Now, if you're taking out the trash and you see your neighbor over the fence and you're remembering that you think your neighbor's a jerk because he did something to your tree hanging over in his territory and you get into this other mindset while you're taking the trash, you might not even get to where your trash goes. I mean, so to be effective would be also to do one thing at a time and to just keep it simple. So being effective is knowing what you're doing and just trying to keep it simple and just kind of doing what you need to do and noticing these other agendas, these other priorities, some of which have to do with being more, you know, righteous or, or having more justice in the world, whereas actually you're just trying to go buy milk. And so effective is go buy the milk and then give yourself some time to think about the justice in the world that's represented by the fact that the person who sold you the milk makes $10 an hour and you make more than that. And, the, and it's an indication. And, but if you get caught up in the middle of that while you're buying milk and, and something other like that. So, effectively, is another. So, I think of there being three basic skills and three rescue operations that help you get back to basics. Um, so, let me bring you back to non-judgmental. There's so many things to say and so many ways. I wanted to start this that I'm just I'm afraid I'm just going to end up like totally confusing everybody. Um, but you know, I guess one of the things I thought when I saw the title of it, of course I created the title of it, but I looked on my website and said, oh, that's what I'm calling it. And I looked at it and and I thought, oh, what a dumb title. You know, non-judgmental. I mean, who goes around saying I'm going to be non-judgmental or try? Like what a holier than thou title! Like it made me think, oh, and as if I was another person looking at it, which I was. I was a different me when I was looking at it than when I wrote it. And, um, and then, and and so obviously, I was quickly judgmental about the title non judgmental. I mean, I thought, what a stupid title! What a holier than thou title! What kind of arrogant asshole would 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 say we're gonna? I'm going to tell you how to be non judgmental. It's like I mean, I felt I, I felt this moment, and so obviously at that moment I was being judgmental toward myself and toward the title. But as soon as I said that, I was now being non-judgmental because I was owning that I was thinking that it was judgmental, that I, that I, I was owning my judgment. So as soon as I started to say, you know, non-judgmental is is a stupid title, and then I have the thought, actually, that's kind of judgmental to say that. That made me less judgmental. I mean, you, and it's sort of like, I'll come back to this point in more detail about how do you help somebody remedy a judgmental response? That kind of one is no big deal. And we have them, I have them all day long. You know, as I often do before these podcasts, I, I was drive I drive home and I thought, gee, I wonder, I wonder how many judgments I'm going to have on the way home. And immediately, I start having judgments. There's these two guys that cross the street in my little hometown of Northampton. And in Northampton, pedestrians are allowed to have the right of way. But you're supposed to cross where the crosswalk is. And these guys were crossing between two crosswalks. And so, I'm like seeing them, I'm thinking, what jerks? I mean, it just happened like this. It it didn't require practicing or getting ready to be judgmental, it just sort of took over my brain all of a sudden. What's wrong with these guys? And of course, what do I know? I mean, the truth is, if you get down to observing and describing, if I get back to basics, all I could say is, these two young men walked across the street. They weren't at the crosswalk, they were in front of my car, and I had to slow down because of it. Okay, none of that's judgmental, right? That's just observing and describing is not judgmental then I noticed if I were to just observe and describe, I would say, and I noticed a little quality of annoyance in me and a little quality of self-righteousness. Have I ever done that? I'm afraid I have a little quality of hypocrisy in me. And so as soon as I notice these things, okay, that's all true. That's no longer judgmental because I'm owning the actual factual reality details of it and saying, I'm, I am feeling this way. I think this. Um, But then if I leave those behind and pack this all into one statement with, and put a bow around it that says they're jerks, they don't care. They didn't pay attention. What do I know about where they're coming from? You know, if I knew their real. Or I might have a very different feeling. So, in other words, it happened there. It happened again. It happened again. I probably had five episodes of being judgmental on the way home. Now I might be more judgmental than most people. I mean, I actually cope with a lot of judgmentalism in myself, which my patients are always amazed about the judgmental patients. They feel so bad about it. And then I tell them how many judgments I, I cope with in day. And they say, Oh, I guess I'm not so bad. <laughs> so it's true. You're not so bad. The question isn't whether you have a lot of judgments being non-judgmental does not mean not having judgments. Sometimes that's a stun- startling revelation to some people. Being non-judgmental is how you respond to the judgments which fly across your head, fly across your brain, fly through your thinking, and so you have these judgmental statements. But then, if you get stuck in the judgment, then trouble begins. And what kind of trouble? Lots of kind of troubles. I'll get to that. I want to I want to read uh, or, or tell you about an example, then read a quote. You guys who are listening in the United States are probably all aware of what I'm about to tell you because um, it's a news item that's a, that's kind of all over the place this week. Um, if you're listening to this from Europe, you probably don't know about this, but I'll give you enough details. Um, the, in the past week, uh, a number of women have alleged that a very uh, well healed very wealthy, uh, former hedge fund owner um, who's, uh, who has houses all over the place. is very rich. And he, and he had a case brought up against him many years ago, and he got a plea deal, and he was spent a little bit of time in jail, but mostly not. And now this, this group of different – a lot of women are now alleging the same thing, that when they were 14 or 15 years old, maybe 16, maybe 13 even for some, but apparently there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them that when they were high school girls um with the help of uh of other people who are uh, probably technically called recruiters they're they're groomers uh encountered and and there's one of them that came out with public statements and some of you may have watched her or listened to her or read about her um and she's very brave she's in her 30s now and she comes out and she says what happened And here's the observe and describe details. This is the facts without judgments. That this girl came out of her freshman year of high school one day and outside the school there was a woman. And the woman started talking to her in a very nice and friendly way and got to know her a little bit. And that went on more than once. And then this, this, and got to know the girl a little bit. And what if, if you knew this girl, you'd know that she had lost her father several years before. Uh, that her family was economically not in good shape, uh, that she had a dream of being an actress. She was at a performing arts high school that she was really glad she had gotten into. And and then this woman starts saying, well, there's this really nice man I work for, and he lives in this amazing place on Fifth Avenue or the Upper East Side or something of Manhattan. and, um, And, you know, he's a really nice man to meet. I want you to meet him. I think he could be helpful to you so she takes she she goes she takes takes her there she meets this guy Jeffrey Epstein and then uh, he talks to her he acts really nice he acts kind of fatherly interested in what she's doing and her dreams and says maybe he can help her with her dreams and blah 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 and little by little he lures her into a situation where he's asking for her to give him massages and then not only massages but then's asking her to take her clothes off down to her underwear and give him massages and she did that, and each time, after each episode of this, she, she would be paid $300 in cash, which made a very big difference to her. And she was quite confused, and she wondered, this is a strange thing for this man to be doing, but he acted so nice and friendly and said he thought he could help her with her career. And then he eventually um, asks her to get on top of him, and he forcibly rapes her. And, uh, and she's, like, devastated, traumatized and she uh, doesn't know what to do, and she leaves there, and within short order, uh, she's very withdrawn, she's uh, depressed, she's very angry a lot of the time, she quits that high school because it brings her too close to where he lives, uh, and she gives up her dreams, uh, and that's the, that was this long-term impact on her life. Now, and she didn't tell anybody, and that's something I want to zero in on, because all of that is observing, describing, it is a totally uh, an antisocial man who's a predator uh, disguised as a, a friendly, helpful millionaire, billionaire, whatever he was, uh, who's trying to help. And so it's, it's like a terrible story and, and with a terrible outcome at that point. And all of that's understandable. However, she didn't tell anybody. She didn't go to authorities. She didn't tell other people. She didn't tell other adults at that point. She did a few years later, and people have verified that. Um, But why didn't she tell somebody? And here's where I want to read from her statement when I was watching her be interviewed. So I captured her statement, which was, here's what she said. I kind of hated myself for it. I was like, I'm stupid. I should have known better. I'm a bad kid. I basically just tried to forget about it and live my life. So she didn't contact authorities. She feared repercussions. She said, I was worried that somehow I'd get in trouble. You know, all of this is about what she did wrong. I was really frightened by Epstein. He knew a lot of powerful people. And I didn't know what he could do to me and I wasn't sure anybody could protect me. So, you know, I guess that the, um, and there's parallel stories like this coming out for lots of women right now. And I was thinking, you know, how does judgment fit into this? Well, she goes through all of this and she has a lot of natural responses, but then there's one more thing that really did her in, which was that she judged herself as being a bad kid, as being stupid, as being doing something wrong. And I'm sure we just heard the tip of the iceberg of the thought she had about herself that she kept to herself privately, just devastating to think about it. And uh, and I'm thinking, you know, this is where if she had not been so judgmental towards herself, um, then she may have just gone through the story in her mind and realized, well, no wonder I'm traumatized. No wonder I'm upset. Yeah, this is understandable. No wonder I set myself up for the wonder. I agreed to agreed to go along with this. I'm fucking 14 years old and I need money. And my family doesn't have much money. And I lost my father. And this guy's acting like, in other words, there's so many causes and conditions for what she did that it's just completely understandable what she did, even the little bit that I know. But I'm sure there's even more detail that would help it be understandable. But she couldn't think about it that way. And as soon as she got away from the basics, from just observing and describing what happened and being able to assess it, in a in an objective way where she could think about what should i do and and maybe then she would have sought out talking to somebody about that and maybe that person would have helped her figure out what as a as a child basically she should do about this and then and then maybe she could have moved forward but she couldn't move forward and now she is this many years later moving forward and i'm sure this is ultimately helpful to her but she also regrets that she's lost a lot of her own life, and she's also regrets, and she blames herself. She, in another part of the interview, she said how guilty she feels that she has let down all these other people that have probably been uh, victimized by him uh, during the time that she could have brought it forth, as if she had the power to do that. So um, just how, how, when you get caught, my point here, sort of obvious, but I want to make it because I think it comes up in all kinds of devastating judgmental situations, and that Bad ones are the only ones I'm concerned about. I mean, me getting judgmental about a couple guys on the street, me getting judgmental about this or that, then I see I'm judgmental. That's like the, 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 the life and death of a judgment pretty quickly. Uh, and some judgments are not that, not that consequential. But there's things like this that ruin people's entire lives, that they get caught in a judgment. They're in the judgment about their child. They're in a judgment about their parent. They're in a judgment about their employer. They're in a judgment about whatever. And, and once you get caught in it, the way I think of it these days is you're, you're sort of caught in a bubble. You're living in a bubble. Up until you're in that bubble, you're in the world of observing and describing and factual reality as close as you can get to it. And then something happens. Something happens that makes you uncomfortable about yourself, about somebody else. And next thing, invisibly, and this is, I think, how it happens and why being non-judgmental is so difficult. You slide into it invisibly. You slide into it under the radar. You don't even know that you've gone from actually describing reality to being judgmental. And, 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 and so you just do there. And once you're in judgmental, and if you stay in judgmental in that realm, I think of it that you're, you're now inside the bubble of judgmentalism And you're looking at the world through the prism of that bubble. I mean, now you're looking at everything from that. You're no longer saying what actually happened. You're saying, you know, so-and-so is a jerk, or I am a bad person, or I am an idiot, or I am unlovable, or so-and-so is unlovable, or how did so-and-so act like that, or so-and-so is so arrogant that I probably that way with everybody. Um, And it just spreads, and it becomes this kind of framework It becomes your platform from which you make your choices. You make your choices informed not by what you've observed and described, which actually might be more consensual with what other people would say. But you're making your judgments. You're making your decisions, your actions. You're having your emotions based on the judgments. I mean, the shame always comes with self-judgment. It's just these guys are partners. It's the dance of judgment and shame, judgment and shame. And so they are, they're always hooked together and, or, or judgment and anger, judgment and blame, depending whether it's towards you. I mean, it's shame when it's towards you. But it's. A, but so you have emotions and you have typical thoughts and, uh, and you start to uh, obscure. Now, look, with this, with this young woman or when she was a 14-year-old child, think about it. She's so much, her judgments were so much about herself and what she had done when to anyone who was looking in on it, it would have been more obvious that the judgments, if there's judgments, it should be about the guy. At least there should be recognition that somebody's doing something wrong here, but it actually, I mean, for, to emphasize her is, and I think one thing that happens is we, when we judge ourselves, especially when you've been victimized and traumatized by another person, or by a family, or by a situation, if you blame yourself and, and judge yourself in that way, it obscures your uh, vision to see the parts that other people play. Everything gets oversimplified. Everything gets objectified. Everything, it's, it wasn't just a series of actions. It was a representation of some quality of yours or something that's wrong with you. It becomes like this hard thing. Like, like the, and, and, and then it, it obscures your vision about what did so-and-so do? And so many times people who are victims of, of sexual uh, activity like this are blaming themselves and, and for a long time, and even if they see and everyone else says, well, he shouldn't have done that to you. Yeah, you're, think, you're hearing that, but in your own mind, and I only know this from, mostly from treating lots of people in these situations, in your own mind, you're thinking, how did I let myself get into that? And so you get stuck in, in a judgmental point of view about yourself, which obscures your vision, generates emotions, generates your next many choices which are very consequential like in her case what were her choices she withdrew she quit school quit that school she gave up her dreams she stayed away from that part of manhattan um and lots of probably lots and lots and lots of other things so start making judgments based on on your judgments so i wanted to tell you about that I have just just sort of connected with what's going on because i think you don't have to look very far for for uh, places where being judgmental is doing people in. Uh, just yesterday, I was consulting to a group of people in an organization, and they were, they were all people at the same level of an organization. And they were talking about their supervisor, their boss, and I was supposed to be consulting to these people because they're they've been having some trouble troubles. And they're, so they're talking about this boss, and first they just start to observe. I said, "So tell me about." her and what she does and how it affects you, and what the consequences are. In other words, I was saying, observe and describe the situation. Well, what does she do? Well, compared to any other people in her position in that larger organization, she keeps track of everybody's time down to the minute. They feel controlled, oppressed, scrutinized. Um, if they aren't there when they're supposed to be there, she calls them. If their door closes in their office, she goes and knocks on the door within three minutes to find out what they 're doing. Um, she docks people pay and vacation time when they come late for something. I mean all these things, and they feel very controlled and stuff and so they described a situation of observe describe again notice no judgment yet they 're just describing the facts of the situation, which includes the facts of what is she doing, the facts of what which is they're just sort of trying to suck it up because they, because of there's various reasons for that. And what's uh, doing, it's clearly reducing morale. It's generating resentment. Um, So they're just telling me about that. But then one of them said, you know, she's so fucking anal. All right. Now that's a different thing. That's not observe and describe. That's the moment. And you can't always find the moment when something slides from observing and describing adverse situations. To a judgment. Once you get in the realm of a judgment, and then a couple others said, You're so right, I've never known anyone so anal. And then one of the other people's reacting to that and being judgmental of those people's judgmentalness, and says, It really isn't fair to say that she's actually a really good person. As if being as if stating so and so is a good person is being non judgmental, which it's not. She was trying to counteract being judgmental. And a lot of people think the way to be non judgmental is to counteract being judgmental and to say something positive about somebody that you've been saying, or say, well, it's no wonder she does that, or something like that. Because the, what it means to be non judgmental is to get out of the realm of is she good, is she bad, is she anal, is she not anal, and that kind of language. What's, what it is to be non judgmental is to go back to basics, it really is to be specific to talk about verbs more than nouns is one way I think about it, what people do, what I think, what I feel when I hear what people do, versus so-and-so is a blah, blah, blah. As soon as you get into the realm of nouns and you're attributing qualities inside a human being, that this person is this or this person is that, you know that you've left the realm of observing and describing. Now you're in the realm of extrapolating beyond anything you can see and it has and, and it has emotional relief associated with it there's a function to there's a real function to judging like this to being judgmental and the, often the function is that it helps relieve you of discomfort momentarily like all other problematic behavior escape behaviors it's temporary in its effectiveness but as, as soon as i say you know so Let's say I encounter somebody, I'm talking to them, they make me very uncomfortable, um, and and I don't know what to do exactly, but then I think, you know, well, so-and-so's stupid. Well, as if that solves anything, as if that names anything. I mean, but what it does is that it discharges my discomfort and it states it as if my discomfort arises from outside myself. And and judgments, um, that kind of judgment almost always does that. It sort of displaces your discomfort um, and says, here's what's causing it. It's a stupid person. It's the way the people do this. It's the mayor, what the mayor does. It's what the city council does. It's, uh, I hear a lot of this because I'm in a small town. Down the street from the mayor and the city council, people really know all these people. And they make these decisions. And everybody has judgments about what they do. Um, and so it helps you momentarily be able to dismiss something and put it to rest in your own mind temporarily. And especially if someone else agrees with you, then that helps for a while. But it always comes comes back at you. And it doesn't. So what are the negative effects of judgments? The negative effects are many and I've mentioned many already. One is the kind of negative emotions that it can cause. It can cause really painful emotions. And so once you start judging you either get caught not only in the prism, the bubble of being judgmental and all of the things that go with that. One of the things is that it generates negative emotions. Then you're living with negative emotions, either towards yourself or towards somebody else. And that's uncomfortable. And it keeps going. And, and so, you know, every time you see this, maybe you're having a perfectly nice day. But you judge somebody and you think, oh, though, oh, that pisses me off. So-and-so does that. And you're caught in anger or else you feel like, oh, I'm such a klutz. I did something so wrong. And now, it, now you're caught with those kind of emotions of shame and guilt and, and stuff. So one consequence is the painful emotions that go with judgments, especially if you get trapped in one in a chronic state um, that, you, that you start to buy. Yes, you are that kind of person. Or somebody else in your family is that kind of person. And you get caught in this chronic bubble. Of judgmentalness, and it and it carries with it. So the other, another thing is the thoughts that it generates are generally pretty negative thoughts, disapproving thoughts, critical thoughts. So your mind is cluttered by these things that come almost involunt. They come involuntarily. You can try to do something about them, but they really arise involuntarily, and you're sort of plagued. I mean, some people say it. I, I wish I I just wish I didn't every time I go to a family gathering. I wish I didn't always feel like this about so-and-so. It just ruins it because you have these thoughts, you have these emotions. And then you start making decisions as that young woman did when she was a 14-year-old girl. And everybody does when they're being judgmental. They make decisions that actually perpetuate some of the very situations that are bad for the person already. I mean, bad, not in the judgmental sense, but in the the sense of one way to get away from... um, judgmentalness is actually to break things down into actually what happens what are the consequences and you can say there are some bad consequences to things and she had some bad consequences so that's not being judgmental so um so there's all these negative consequences including the other one that i mentioned before which is it obscures your vision of the larger picture of what's going on because you're caught in your own bubble now um And one other thing is that it absolutely, most of the time, blocks you from problem solving. If you start, if your take, and this is one of the brilliant things in DBT about chain analysis, is that chain analysis is Linehan's effort to bring a therapeutic technique in that brings everything back to observing and describing. And then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? happened? Oh, and then you had a judgment like that. Okay, and so that's another thing that happened. It's sort of like level. It's a leveling the playing field down to you're just sequentially spreading out all the observing and describing. And a lot of psychotherapy that's done well is actually just observing and describing and getting people there to observe and describe. So I think that, um, uh, and then when you observe and describe what happened, the in the details of what happened then you might be able to come up with a solution. But if you try to approach things by saying, well, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Okay. You could reframe that without it being judgmental and say, you know, I wish it hadn't happened in the first place. But you know what? It should have happened. (laughs) I mean, in a sense. Because everything was in place to make it happen. So if you want to do something about something, you have to go back and do something about the causes and the conditions that create that behavioral response or that political response or that social response. You've got to actually analyze the conditions and the actual factual step-by-step reality if you want to have a chance to fix it. So I think there, you know, there's so many negative effects to getting judgmental, but like I say, I really also, one of the main points of this uh, talk is to say, Figuring out when you're being judgmental is not as easy as I make it sound, and I think you know that. But I I go in and out because I'll sometimes think I'm saying something that's factual, and then I think, actually, I don't know that. I'm extrapolating. I'm talking about this person's motivation. I don't know what the, I didn't know if their motivation is to drive me crazy. But if I say their motivation is to drive me crazy, how do I know that? I mean, they are driving me crazy. Their behavior is making me make myself crazy but I mean so as soon as you we just slide into assumptions which then can be come bigger deals and then we're caught in in being judgmental um so those are lots of things about um what what a judgment is what the function is how a judgment comes into being um and now now we're let's say we're stuck with judgments um what do we do about that i wrote some notes down i want to mention and by the way any of you one of the one of the ways you know that this is a particularly tough skill to understand and a tough one to teach because if you've ever taught these in groups this one gives rise to some of the most contentious and some of the most difficult discussions when people say oh i'm not oh you think so i shouldn't judge my abuser And that becomes a tricky one. You have to really know your territory in order to respond to things like that and realize, no, you. and and by the way, I think it's important to realize that being judgmental is not always so bad. It may be the first way you figure out what's going on, is you notice yourself getting judgmental about something. Then you might say, I guess I really don't know that, but I guess I'm really upset by this. And that, so it can be an indicator. And also, you don't want to get too judgmental of the fact that you're judgmental. coming through your mind is data it's reality data and if you can reframe your judgment instead of saying such and such is the case and that's an intense judgment let's say and reframe it just by saying you know i i have the notion that such and such is the case that is such a radical reformulation that you're almost out of the realm of being judgmental if you notice that it's your thing and then you can back off from uh, I, I notice this, or I think this, you could back off to saying, you know, I wish it weren't this way, which is completely straightforward, direct, right at the level of observing and describing. It's a basic statement to say, I wish the world were different. To say the world should be different, you're already a a step towards judgment. To say the world is screwed up and somebody screwed it up, now you're further down the road of judgment. But just to say, I wish it were different, and I'm going to try to make it different, that's a very different realm it's a very um, healthy place to be I think where's the thing I wanted to tell you um, how to practice oh I wanted to give some ideas of how to practice being non-judgmental or to help how to help same same as saying how to help other people practice being non-judgmental I mean some of them are just inherently obvious after what I've said and what you've probably already thought but you know first i think the biggest challenge first is to recognize that something is judgmental and it's just i i emphasize that again you just that's why i think the mindfulness skills begin with observing and describing you have to be aware you have to say oh this is kind of and now what are some of the characteristics of a of a of a judgmental statement well they're first of all they can sound kind of global kind of all inclusive uh kind of broad, rather than saying I didn't like how you did that, you say you're stupid. It's kind of global, kind of broad, it's kind of disembodied, it's several steps removed from the actual things that happen that make you say that. So the more you get unhooked from the ground, um, and then you're, you're sort of moving up away from the ground to higher levels of, of, uh, of generality of globalness, of intensity, of, uh, uh, of, um, of of things that somebody would never feel understood. So not being understood, uh, being, uh, there's a certain quality of being, when you make judgmental statements that I sort of say is in the realm of being godlike. You're like a god. Instead of saying, I wish the world were this way, you say, well, here's how the world is. You know, I, I wish you hadn't done that, is just a personal statement. It's, it's vulnerable, it's personal, it's direct. Uh, somebody can deal with it more. If you say, you're an idiot, it's like no longer a personal statement. I mean, now it's a godlike statement, as if you have the credentials all of a sudden to make a godlike statement uh, about some, about behavior and about things, and I think then, so as soon as you hear yourself making godlike statements like what the hell are these guys doing walking across the street here they're jerks it's a godlike statement in a way and as opposed to saying when they walked across the street i didn't like that the rules are different than that and i've got and i follow the rules oh and by the way one other thing that i think another function of being ju- judgmental is that it helps to distinguish you from the other person so it helps it helps you say um, like if you say, so-and-so is stupid, there's commonly, I think, in parentheses, never said, it would be, so-and-so is stupid, and I'm not. So-and-so is fat, and I'm perfect. So-and-so is uh, an arrogant jerk, but I never am. Uh, it's, it's sort of like, I think, again, a way of of, of relief, relieving your own discomfort. So that's so. So what can we do? Um, some tip, typical, practical things to practice being non-judgmental. Um, so I wrote down, for instance, if you make a, a mistake at a restaurant and spill something, or you forget to follow up on something you said you would do, or you send off an email to an unintended recipient, which I did just this morning, and then you feel mortified, ashamed. And you think you're an idiot or you think you're incompetent and you feel bad, see if you can at that moment observe and describe the judgment. Specify the nature of the judgment. Say like, um, I guess I'm saying I'm an idiot. Just saying that is bringing it bringing the judgment down into the realm of uh, I'm observing and describing my judgment. And now it's more workable. You've suddenly softened the judgment to say that it's a judgment. Say I'm having the thought that I'm the uh, only one who could handle this. And so everybody else are jerks. And so then it makes a difference for, and then, and then you can end up saying, let's say you make all these mistakes and spill milk and you do an email, the wrong person. You could say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. You try to bring it down to personal statements. I wish I hadn't done that, to preferential statements. Um, I would have preferred not to do that. I felt uncomfortable having done that. And then then you aren't too far away from being able to say, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes, and it feels really bad to make a mistake. And now you're out of it. I mean, if you can get yourself down, of course, most difficult judgments are not that easy to get out of. But I think that's the course you have to go in, becoming more specific, more with observing and describing, more with what actually happened, more with converting nouns into verbs, converting sort of attributions into incidents, getting down to these things, being personal and putting things in terms of preferences and your feelings rather than what is. Another one. Replace judgmental responses, once you realize you have one, which of course is the big deal first, with it just is. You know, it just is that way. You know, I made a real mistake. I feel really bad about it. I feel judgmental about it towards myself. Well, how did I do that? But you know what? It just is. It sort of brings you into the present moment and says, this is what is now. Okay? Which is different than saying, oh my God, how did I ever do this? which is kind of regretting the past and it piles up inside you as a very painful thing, but it isn't like you discharge the responsibility. You just bring it down to specifics. And then you say, you know, that it just is, that isn't the same as saying, Oh, well, it was nothing. I mean, that would be kind of a reacting to a feeling of responsibility by saying, I have no responsibility. There's nothing. It didn't impact people. (coughs) Next one. Reframe the judgmental statement. This is, a re- this is a restatement of a statement I guess I've already made. I didn't know it was coming. Reframe the judgmental statement into a statement of preference. After noticing yourself saying and feeling, that was, that, uh, that's terrible. <coughs> Try switching. See if you can just make that switch. You have to practice it sometimes with easy. different things, but the switch is uh, making a switch into a statement of preference. So you could say, instead of saying, that is terrible, you might say, <coughs> I wish that weren't the case. I wish it were different. That's a whole different thing to work with. Now you've got something workable. Um, that is terrible is a judgmental response out of the realm of observing and describing. Unless you're saying, I have the feeling that's terrible. That's your, then, you're, then it's back in the realm of observing and describing. You're observing your feeling. <coughs> Um, but to say I want X and I wish X were true is a perfectly simple statement of fact, the fact of your thoughts. Um, try letting go of shoulds, becoming alert to when you say should or when somebody else says should, of how things should be. Um, so uh, several things about that. Let go. See if you can let go of being someone who defines the world as it should be. convert it to statements of preference. I wish the world was like this. That already puts you in a different place than saying, here's how the world should be. Because if that's how the world should be, now you're talking a little bit godlike. And then when the world isn't that way, it's more upsetting. And it doesn't help you solve it any better. Let go of demanding that reality is what we want it to be. um, Simply because we want it. I mean, that's what most most shoulds are like that. uh, It should be that way if you boil it down and you have a dialogue with somebody like a Socratic dialogue where you ask them questions, about, well, why should it be like that? Well, it should be that way because of such and such. Well, why, why would, why is such and such better? Well, because of such and such, another such and such. And if you do that with people and kind of work your way down from these global statements, what you often end up having um, is uh, you end up with somebody's statement of preference just a personal statement somebody has um try letting go of saying i should be different and attempt to acknowledge that you know i am this way for better or worse with all my flaws and all of the things that maybe you're okay with about me you know i sort of am this way i sometimes do this i mean it. it it can be painful, but it's a different kind of pain to say, you know, for instance, I have, I have a lot of qualities of ADD and to some degree ADHD. I'm very restless. My mind is restless. It's busy. I forget this. I don't do that. I forget to follow up on this. I've had a lot of things like this in my life. And um, I've had to learn to live with that as just sort of like rather than saying, you know, I shouldn't be this way. That, you know, I did that for a number of years. It just didn't work. I mean, to say I shouldn't be this way, I mean, it really doesn't help to say I'm not this way
1: when I am this
0: way. That was my first attempt. That, that fell, fell apart pretty quickly because the evidence would come in day after day <laughs> that I was that way. And then, then you say, well, I, I, sh- I shouldn't be this way. And then you think, well, why shouldn't I be this way? It's like, of course I should be this way. I am me. And so the more you can help somebody get to that place where they're thinking something's terrible about them, which then leads to a lot of consequences. It's like, okay, maybe you should be this way. Maybe you're supposed to be a a sort of person who forgets a lot of things. I mean, that's how you were created. Is there any possibility of that? Well, yeah, I did it as a kid, (coughs) et cetera. Try replacing should statements with descriptions of feeling and doing, and realize that if you make a judgmental statement and then you feel bad, for for being judgmental, <coughs> um, so then you try to undo your judgmental statement by saying the opposite. Oh no, actually, so and so isn't terrible; they're really good. That this is actually not the formula to become non-judgmental. It actually sustains being judgmental <coughs> because it's a, it's a pseudo solution, and <coughs> you just keep doing it. Being non-judgmental means you strip things back to what actually happened. What were my feelings? What were my thoughts? How did I transform them into a judgment? What did that do for me? Let me try to accept things as they are. A lot of this has to do with uh, 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 radical acceptance. Um, okay, I remember, there's been a couple of uh, things in my little orange chat box. I wanna see what's been written. Ah, Bethra, don't shoot on yourself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's, I've always liked that. Yes. Um, that uh, I've been, I have had that said to me many times. <laughs> what what non-judgmental does not mean? Um, I'm just going to say a couple things about this, and then I want to sort of lay the groundwork for this transition to what I'm going to be doing next, uh, starting in the next podcast. Um, non-judgmental does not mean approving of something. That comes up in nearly every group that you teach non judgmental. Oh, you think I should just like let that be? Oh, I'm supposed to accept that? Oh, I'm supposed to let that person off the hook? Um, no, you're not supposed to do any of those things. Non judgmental is something you do for yourself, and it ends up making you more effective, including changing other people if you want to. Um, non judgmental does not mean denying consequences happen. To say that, you know, um, to say, you know, try to get out of making a judgment doesn't remove, con- necessarily remove consequences and deny consequences for behavior because you're, you're having the idea when you say that that the consequences are that you yell at them or that you have a negative, report. like if you, there was a person that I dated for a long time and she got this from her family, from her mother, I think, but she seemed to have the idea in life that... Um, the way she would get more of what she wanted as a, as a wife, as a girlfriend, was if she punished me for things that she didn't like because I wasn't doing things right. Uh, and, and that just didn't work. I mean, it never worked. It's just ineffective to do that. Punishment is just not a great change uh, model for change. Um, non-judgmental doesn't mean keeping quiet about your preferences and desires. You can be non-judgmental and be very forceful And very direct, and speak from the heart, and notice when you slide into the realm of judgmental speak. Okay, I want to say about where I'm headed is that my my sort of new way of formulating the DBT skills. If I were to draw a picture of it for you, it would no longer look like a set of four modules and a bunch of skills lined up. It would be a giant circle. And, in the, and it would be made up of concentric circles. And in that very, very center of the very center is going to be wise mind. Because I've really come to think over time, that is the sort of central, deepest organizing place from which, if you can live your life from wise mind, whether you're responding to X, Y, or Z, you're going to probably have more skillful responses. And so I think of the three what skills, the basics, as I've now call them, observing and describing and participate, would be the next concentric ring outside of wise mind, because when you're when you're just observing, describing, and participating, you're much closer to wise mind. You're closer to reality. You're closer to how things are, and it sort of helps you um, to just be there and to make good decisions. Outside that ring would be a, a concentric ring of the uh, non-judgmental, uh, one mindfully and effectively, which are three rescue operations for when you're getting away from the basics. And so it gives three, and there, and I actually think there are more than those three, so probably by the end of my rethinking about the skills is going to include that there will be other things that I would line up alongside those three house skills. Um, the next ring outside that, would, I would say, is that if only you could just, if, if everybody could just learn that amount so far, it would be so helpful. But what happens is that some people's lives have been so painful. Some environments have been so invalidating. Some nervous systems are so vulnerable and reactive and sensitive that actually those alone wouldn't be enough. So you really, I think everything else is all these other things that you need in order to regulate yourself, in order to have a chance to go back to basics. And so I sort of think my next ring would probably be the uh, reality acceptance skills of the distress tolerance module, because they sort of map very closely. They're just one step removed from the mindfulness skills. Um, And then outside that would be the other distress tolerance skills, which are ways to survive crises. And they sort of help you get back in the game and help you get back towards wise mind. And they help you not do stuff that's going to keep making things worse. And outside of that, I would probably then be saying either, the emotion regulation skills or the interpersonal skills both of them are now ways to change your emotional life or ways to change your interpersonal life and i don't know how i would formulate them but i just wanted to tell you so what i'm going to do next is talk about distress tolerance skills in some detail just not not assuming that people don't know them and also i've talked about some of them before but just wanting to go through step by step and make sure that people have a run through the skills uh, in a way that tries to make them um, accessible to people so that 's what we 'll be doing next so the next one i 'll be doing if you're if you 're following it live uh, would prob- would be um, oh gosh would it be yeah it would be it'll be next thursday i 'm going to be doing one next Thursday and I think the following thursday um, i'll put i 'll put on my website when i 'll be doing these but yeah the next two thursdays i 'll definitely be doing. So thank you, those of you who were able to uh, tune in live. It's really, it means a lot to just have any faces to look at and names to look at and realize, okay, I'm talking to actually someone other than just myself, Um, it's very helpful. And uh, as usual, if you want to send any email response about any of this, because a little bit of this is somewhat statement of some reformulation of some things, uh, I would be very interested um, to hear anything you have to say. So thank you. I actually don't know. Oh, I now know how to unmute you, but I'm not going to do it now because I'm already running a slate. But uh, I'll I'll remember to do that next time. Thank you for the messages you're sending. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Charlie. You're welcome.